my name is Becca. Um, I consider Sterling my hometown. My family moved here when I was starting fifth grade. And then, um, like she said, I stayed here through my freshman year of college um, and then went on to K-State. So it kind of feels a little surreal for me to stand up on this stage. It's been a long time. And last time I was up here, I was in a theater production of Rumors. Whoop, whoop. Yes. So um, anyway, um, I'm thrilled to be here with you guys tonight. Way to brave the weather. Good job. Extra kudos to you guys. Um, but yeah, so tonight um, I am going to be talking about the topic of adoption. Not that I'm going to be charging all of you as college students to go out and adopt all the children right now. It's probably not in your life stage, not in your immediate goals here. Um, but actually talking about the biblical adoption of God adopting us as his children, but also kind of tying in some of what I've learned in our adoption journey in that. So um, before I get started, um, would you just pray with me? God, I am weak, but you are strong. And I just pray that you would um, speak through my broken, sinful self and just um, that you would meet each person uniquely where they are at Help your word to come alive. Thank you that it is living and active, and I just pray that um, what each person needs to hear tonight would be heard. We love you, and we trust you. Amen. Okay, so um, like Julie mentioned, my oldest son is adopted. Um, we actually just finalized his adoption through foster care um, less than a month ago, so we're really excited about that. Adoption is something very near and dear to my heart. Um, I have, even growing up, I always knew I wanted to adopt. I had a handful of cousins who were adopted. Um, my older sister adopted her second child. Um, and so, yeah, adoption, orphan care in general is just something I'm very passionate about. It's something near to God's heart. It's something that um, in another place in time I could get on a huge soapbox about. But like I said tonight, I'm not talking about um, orphan care as far as what God wants us to do in his world right now with orphan care, but more so looking at adoption in the light of God adopting us into his family. Because as believers, whether you know it or not, you're adopted. So um, I'm going to start with reading from Ephesians 1. If you have your Bible or an app or something that you want to follow along in, cool. Otherwise, story time. Um, I'm going to start in verse 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time would have reached the fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, 
Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So when I was preparing to, to talk with you all about adoption, I was reading an, um, an article online, and I really loved one of the, the ways that the, the author of that article described biblical adoption or the the doctrine of adoption, and he called it the apex of mercy and grace. And I really like that because I think adoption is a part of salvation that we kind of blow over. Like we talk about salvation and and what that looks like a lot, God saving us from our sins, but I feel like the secondary beauty of that adoption is often lost. And so this author called it the apex of mercy and grace, and I want to dig into that a little bit. Um, because God is a very multifaceted, multi-characteristic God. He's God the judge. He's God the creator. He's God the father, right? He has all these traits. And adoption, when he adopts us into his family, is like this beautiful, mysterious culmination of mercy and grace, judge and father, all in one moment. So in order to really kind of grasp this further, we kind of need to rewind a little bit and we need to kind of go back, go back to the beginning and kind of review, like, okay, what is the gospel and salvation and all that? So we're going to do a quick rundown of that and then get into the adoption. Um, so the Bible tells us that we are all fallen, broken, sinful people um, that by nature are enemies of God. That's just our starting point. That's every single human's starting point this side of Eden. That's where we all begin. So we are essentially born into the spiritual family of sin and death. That's our birth family, if you will. Um, and that kind of sounds like a downer. That's like, thank you for that. We're in eternal separation from God. That sounds great. Um, but the, the beauty of adoption isn't seen clearly without knowing the brokenness that leads to it. So that is where we start. Spoiler alert, we are all born into sin, separate from God. Aside from his grace, we're hopeless. But in comes God, who we read in Ephesians 1, has had a plan from before the beginning of time of how he was going to not leave us there. And so he, he comes in the form of his spirit, and he pokes and prods and stirs our dead heart, and he revives us so that we can see, no, I don't want where I'm at. And you say no to flesh, and you say yes to Jesus and what he offers. Um, he enable, enables us to be able to leave our former and go into what is new. And we can choose at that point, are we going to follow Jesus? Is this prompting that I feel from his spirit? Am I going to, am I going to pursue that? And when we say yes, when we say no to flesh and say yes to Jesus and the life that he both commands of us but also enables us to live, we are in that moment declared not guilty or the biblical term for that is we're justified um, in junior high when i was out at sterling evangelical bible church my teacher in junior high was kevin rich he told us um, to how to remember what justified means is justified is just as if i'd never sinned so in that moment when we say yes to Jesus, yes, I'm going to follow you, I'm all in, we are in that moment justified. And it is, is, it is as if we never sinned. 
All of our sin, past, present, future, is just gone. How? Because, as most of you have probably heard before many times possibly, the gospel is that God knew that we were going to be apart from him. He knew that sin was going to get in the way, and he himself made the rescue plan. He himself planned in advance to pay for it himself by sending his heart, his son, to die on the cross, take our sins, so that when that moment comes, that the Spirit comes to you in a unique time and place and space that God ordains, that you are able to say yes and that your sin's already paid for. Um, so that is, that is kind of the moment of salvation, right? That the Spirit prompts us, we respond with a yes, we are declared not guilty, and that birth family of sin and death that we were born into those rights that the enemy has held over us in that moment are severed. We no longer belong to the father of lies. That those rights and that power he has over us is gone. But then what? So in the world of foster care and adoption, um, the term used when a child's biological parents um, either willingly relinquish their rights or if a judge takes the rights away, is um, the term used is that that child is now legally emancipated, or essentially they're legally free. Um, so through a process, a judge would decide that the family which that child was born into is not what is best for them, and they would declare that that birth family no longer holds rights or any power or authority over that child. So then what? At those termination hearings, would a judge say, okay, birth family, you have no more rights over this child, and then turn to the child and pat their head and say, well, you're free now, run along. No, that's completely absurd. That would never, ever happen. Because the point of them legally emancipating this child is not so they could just be free from their former situation, but so that they could be free to get into a new one, a better one. And that's the same that God does for us. At salvation, when we receive Christ as Lord, the God, the judge, terminates those rights. And then he, he declares that we are free, but he doesn't stop there. God, the Father, is waiting right there, welcoming us into his family. So that is what that author meant by the apex of mercy and grace, that just like Jesus told his disciples before he went back up to heaven, he told them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Um, he was talking about how he would send his spirit to be with them always. In the same way, God the Father says, I'm going to free you from this former that you were in, but I'm not just going to leave you in some spiritual limbo. I'm going to be right there waiting to adopt you myself. And so in one, in one situation, we see God's mercy in God the judge saving us from that situation, and we see God's grace in God the Father taking us as his own. In one divine breath, God says both, you are free and you are mine. And that is the beauty of, of adoption. Um, one of the things that I love about earthly adoption is that when a child is um, 
like their adoption is finalized, they actually receive a brand new birth certificate. Fun fact. Um, and so my nine-year-old that we just adopted, we're waiting on his new birth certificate to come into the mail. And it's literally as if he was born into our family. It's like he's been born again. And I just love that because on an eternal scale, that's exactly what God does for us. We are born again into his family. We have a new name. We have a new father. It is a fresh beginning for us. So now, okay, we've run, gone through the rundown of like, okay, salvation it's not just about him saving us, but also then taking us in. But what does that look like? Um, in order to dig into that, I want to read um, just a little bit from Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. It says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive, sorry, whew, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So we see again in this passage the gospel message of God sent Jesus to redeem us, to pay for our sins so that we can be children of God. We go from bondage to belonging, slaves to sons and daughters, right? But the thing that I really love about this passage is when it talks about um, the Spirit crying out, Abba, Father. Um, and the reason is because the word Abba or Abba is literally more translated to Daddy. And that might seem like a really trivial or minute detail, but the implications are actually pretty big. Um, for example, so my husband is the father of my children, but it's the intentional presence that he has with them, playing with them, holding them, wiping their tears, beaming in pride as he watches them learn something new. Those things are what make him daddy. And so this passage says God doesn't just want to be your father. He really wants to be your daddy. Um, I just think that sometimes we can think of God as some cosmic dictator dad that's like, yeah, well, I, I bought you and I own you and so now you owe me. And that's not at all. That's not at all how he wants to be. His heartbeat is he wants to be a daddy to you. And I'm going to tell you, there isn't going, you're not going to find a better dad. And I just want to pause quickly. Um, I've known enough people, and I've been around brokenness long enough to know that there are probably many people even sitting in this room that the word father or daddy just kind of, mm, there's some bad connotation there. Maybe you've been hurt by a father figure. Maybe you've never really experienced a father figure. Um, or maybe, you know, God has been really rich in his mercy and grace and has given you a wonderful earthly father. But um, if you are one who just the word father or dad just sends you into a little bit of panic mode or just the brain starts to shut down, um, just know that I'm thinking of you and I've prayed for you in advance um, that you would be able to not be flooded by that and that you'd be able to really be open to what God has to say to you about how he is so different than that. He is the perfect dad. And so I want to dig into why, why God is the perfect dad. Um, 
So if you've been around Christian circles, you've probably heard the words omnipotent, omniscient, you know, omnipresent, right? All the omnis. Basically, it means omnipotent, he's all-powerful. Omniscient, he knows everything. Omnipresent, he's everywhere all the time, not bound by time or space, right? So those are three main characteristics that you hear often about God, right? Then 1 John 4 also says that God is love. That's pretty straightforward. It's not God is loving, it's he is love. There is no love aside from him. He invented it. He is it. God is love. And then 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a rundown of what love is, God's definition of love, or essentially his description of himself, right? So 1 Corinthians 13 is a common one we hear a lot at weddings maybe, but it's talking about how love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, boast, it keeps no record of wrongs, you know, it always hopes, it always trusts, always perseveres, never fails. All of those descriptions fit God. He is everything good and perfect, nothing broken or bad. That is God. So let's think about this. Let's, let's combine all this together. The omnis that we talked about, the fact that God is love and what love is biblically, and the fact that he is our father. So basically we have an eternal dad who is completely and utterly powerful. A completely unmatched force. Nothing is bigger or stronger than him. Nothing. All power belongs to him. But he's not just mighty and strong. He is good. I think sometimes when we come up, if we came up to a force that is extremely, extremely powerful, there's some fear there, right? But God is not just a powerful force. He is good. He is always with you. So that power that brings, that he brings is available to you all the time. He also knows you inside and out. He knows the nitty-gritty details of your past, your future. He knows your mind, your heart, the words before you say them. He knows everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows you. He knows the things that you wish nobody knew. And despite knowing everything about you, he loves you immeasurably. There's, there's just something incredibly striking and deep and intimate to be completely known and then unconditionally loved. And God offers that. So I have been blessed with a good earthly father. Not perfect by any means, no human is, but a good one. And when I was growing up, when I was little, it did not matter what was going on around me. If my dad was near me, I'm all good. I mean, literally, when I think back in hindsight, it's like, why was I not freaked out in that situation? That was totally not safe, but my dad was around. Like, we could be driving through a blizzard on our way to Colorado for family Christmas, but as long as my dad was behind the wheel, I was like, cool, I'll take a nap in the back. Like, if an F5 tornado was coming towards Sterling, as long as I was with my dad, I'm like, that tornado's got nothing on my dad. I don't know what I was thinking, but I, if I was with my dad, there was just this trust, like, I'm okay. And as I was thinking through it, it's because deep in my little heart, I believed two things. I believed that my dad was strong, and I believed that my dad loved me. And guys, there's nobody stronger 
And there is nobody that loves you more deeply than God. So there's that thought of like, knowing those two things, how can we not trust him? But I'm not naive. I know that there are a lot of hindrances that get in the way of us truly trusting God as our father. Maybe like I mentioned earlier, maybe you've been hurt by a father figure in your life and just the thought of a loving, good father is just like, yeah, doesn't compute. Not ready for that. Or maybe you've been hurt by people who claim Christ as their savior, but their actions or their words towards you sent a very different message. Or maybe you're just not really sure about this whole heaven, hell, Bible stuff. Wherever you are, the beauty of God is that he can meet you there. He wants to adopt every single person. He's not waiting for you to get to a certain place before he's like, ooh, I like that one. Want to be in my family? He wants you now. He wants you exactly how you are. He doesn't care. So wherever you are, just know God can meet you there. So if you are here tonight and you're thinking, I don't know, I don't think that I've ever really trusted God. I'm pretty sure I'm not under the category of like his son or daughter. Um, That's fine. God is inviting you to be his son or his daughter. He's ready. He's already paid the adoption cost with the blood of his son. He has the Holy Spirit ready and waiting to finalize things by stamping it on your heart. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is the seal, right? It finalizes it. He's ready. And so I would, I would challenge you to, to open your heart to him, to think about it. Um, I would love for you to come join my eternal forever family. And there's always more room in my father's house. Or maybe you're here today and you know that you know that you know that you are a child of God, right? Like this, the Bible talks about how the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children, right? It's like that assurance. People talk about assurance, like how are you sure that you're a Christian, right? It's the Holy Spirit speaking straight to your heart like you are a child of God. So if that is you and you're like, no, I know that I'm a child of God and, you know, me and my heavenly daddy, we're pretty tight. Things are good. Great. Be encouraged. Praise God. And, you know, we can never remind ourselves too much who God is and who we are in light of him. So take this reminder and just let it fuel you. If you are a child of God, God has placed his light in you. And Matthew 5 talks about how we are the light of the world. And so... Let the reminder of who your heavenly father is and who you are in light of him, let that rekindle the flame that is in you and and shine bright. There are a lot of brothers and sisters, potential brothers and sisters out there. So light the beacon and help bring them home. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, neither of those are me. Like, I, I... I'm not, like, not a Christian, but I'm not like, God and I are super tight, and I feel like he's my heavenly daddy. That's fine, too. Wherever you are at, God can meet you there. But wherever you are at, he invites you to more. Um, Some of you may be thinking, well, I mean, I, like, said a prayer. Pretty sure I'm a Christian. But over time, whether that's just because of time and life happening, that relationship is kind of faded, or maybe it's like in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, where 
maybe by some intentional decisions and choices you've taken step by step by step away from home or maybe even ran from home, right? If that is you, regardless of how you got off track or what you've done while you've been off track, God the Father is ready to welcome you home. And just like the father in the story of the prodigal son, he's not just going to wait up on the porch being like, yep, take every painful step back to me. I'm just going to sit here and stare at you while you painfully walk back through with guilt up to me. No. If you know the, the story of the prodigal son, as soon as the father saw that his child was coming home, he ran out to meet him. He didn't say another word about him leaving, about the things that he had done. He just ran out, embraced him, and celebrated his return. And that is what God the Father invites you to do, if that is you. If you've wandered from home, he's ready to celebrate your return. And he is not interested in the guilt game. But there is somebody who is interested in the guilt game. Our Heavenly Father has an enemy, and he is in the business of stealing, killing, destroying. That's it. There's nothing good about him, and he wants nothing more than to keep people from having abundant life. So if you're not a child, he wants you to stay that way. He wants you to stay far, far away from the eternal Father who can give you real life. Don't listen to him. If you are a child, he wants nothing more than to put a wedge between you and your Father. Don't let him. And if you are that child who has wandered from home, where you had a relationship, but I don't know what happened and now here I am. The enemy wants nothing more than to cripple you so you can't turn around to go back home. He wants to cripple you, how? With thoughts of guilt, insecurity, fear, those thoughts of like, how could God forgive me about, like after this? Or how could he love me after I've done that? Or I don't even know if I am a child of God anymore. Or was I ever a child of God? The enemy loves to pile those on in order to keep you where you're at and not come back to the Father. But here's, here's where I want you to hear me. If you are that prodigal son type, if you have wandered from home and you're having those thoughts of like, I'm too far gone. <laughs> There's no way he's going to take me back after this. Once a child, always a child. It's, it's in the thing. Look it up. He has already adopted you. You are his. And you may think, well, I don't feel like his. Right? Feelings are a real thing, but they are not what is true. Once a child always a child. And, you know, to lay it straight with you, if the almighty God who created the entire universe, everything from the grandest galaxies to like the tiniest microscopic organism, the one who called everything to existence, who knows you by name, who deemed you worth it to sacrifice his perfect son so that he could adopt you, if he says you're his kid, you best believe him. Who are we to say, I know you say I'm your child, God, but like, you don't know. He knows. He, we are who he says we are. 
So I actually um, asked the band to play the song, Who You Say I Am. That's what it's called, right? I'm the worst at like song titles. I just say like a line from the chorus. I'm like, that's what it's called. Um, so they're going to come up here in just a little bit and play Who You Say I Am. And I love that song, one, because I'm a music nerd. Two, because it just reiterates the truth that I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Right? And there's parts in that song, too, that say, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And that just reminds me of 1 John 3, verse 1. And it says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called his children. And then it says, and that is what we are. I love that verse because it doesn't just say, see God's great love that we should be called his children and leave it at that. There's like the added punch of like, and that is what we are. In case you're reading through that and you're like, yeah, that's great. No, that is what you are. If you have received Christ as your savior, you are a child of God. He is a perfect father. And wherever you are in your relationship with him, he's ready for you. So if the band wants to come up, I'm going to pray for us real quick. But then I would just challenge you um, to just think about where, where am I? Am I completely not a child of God and I know that? Well, I, I just pray that you would, you would give him a chance. Because he's ready. He wants you. And if you are in a good spot with your father, thank him. And if you have wandered from the Father, come home. You are who he says you are. So let's pray together. God, I just pray for every single heart in this room. I just pray that you would meet each person exactly where they need you. You knit them together in their mother's womb. You know them inside and out. You know their insecurities, their fears, their hopes, their dreams, their hurt. God, I pray that you would show each and every one of them, regardless of their relationship with you in this moment, that you are a good, good father. I pray that each one of these people would know that and would walk in that, that they would really know you as daddy, God, thank you for bringing each of them here tonight. I know that nothing is meaningless or um, without purpose, God. You chose for every single person who's sitting here to be sitting here, and I just pray that, um, that you would meet them because you are who holds the power. God, I thank you for this opportunity, and I just pray that you would be glorified.